We're now at the fifth week in Lent, and we've gone into the desert, up to the mountain, down to the water, and into the light. If you've been paying attention to our Lenten Sunday readings, surely you've noticed that we began in the desert with Jesus, getting rid of all distractions. That's when we can hear the voice of God. But when we get rid of all distractions, we also hear, more clearly, the voice of temptation. We always have choices. Remember, temptation is not sin, but it can lead to sin. And Jesus gives us good and practical ways to handle temptation by rooting ourselves in the Word, by surrendering and trusting God, and by worshiping and serving Him alone. Those are good things to do all the time, and Lent is a good time to practice them. If we do, we'll find that our desert experience turns into a mountaintop experience where we can experience Jesus transfigured. But the temptation of the mountain is that we want to stay there, and we shouldn't. The mountaintop is not heaven. It's a place to recharge our batteries so that we can get back down and do the work. On the mountaintop, when we have a personal experience with Christ, we also realize our sin, like the Samaritan woman at the well. We realize how thirsty we are and how we need Jesus. But we still have a choice because when we realize our sinfulness, it's not easy and it's sometimes easier to go back into the darkness. Being in the light hurts our eyes. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more the world will attack us, as they did with the blind man of last week's gospel. And many do choose to retreat back into the darkness. We all know people like that. They appear to be alive, but on the inside, they are dead. Let's make these last weeks of Lent opportunities to choose light, to choose life. If we do, this weekend, the story of Lazarus will show us what can happen. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. First off, we have a winner... Teresa Murphy of New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Teresa Murphy, you've won a copy of last week's featured album, Hallelujah is Our Song by Sarah Kroger. Congratulations. If we haven't yet already, we'll be contacting you shortly to send you your prize. Remember that we give away prizes every week, so those of you who would like to win a prize, go to our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio and sign up. You can also comment on our posts at facebook.com slash slradio1 and we'll make sure to get you entered into our weekly draw. Or send us mail. Last week, Alicia mentioned in her news segment about the little girl who asked the Holy Father to speak with President Obama about the situation of illegal immigrants in the United States. Well, we received mail. Bob Solano of Temple City, California wrote, it is my personal belief that this is definitely a matter of separation of church and state. The Pope should not get involved in matters of this nature. We have laws in this country that need to be heeded, not circumvented. He goes on to write that his daughter's mother and her whole family, all from Mexico, went through the proper steps to, to become U.S. citizens, and it took many years and was a great expense. He continues, I am a practicing Catholic, but I am a firm believer in the separation of church and state regarding such matters. Pope Francis has absolutely no business whatsoever suggesting amnesty in any form to persons who deliberately break the law. That was from Bob Solano of Temple City, California. 
Thank you, Bob, for your comments. I'm sure that that will get the conversation going. Send us your mail to radio at saltandlighttv.org or simply comment on our Facebook posts. Love to get you thinking about our faith. Today, Sister Marie Paul Curley returns to talk about a biblical epic, and I'm sure you can figure out what that film is going to be. That's in about 15 minutes. And in our second half hour, we'll be speaking with my boss, Father Tom Rosica, who has just published a book on John Paul II. But this is JP2 as a saint for Canada. You're going to want to listen to that interview. And after that, we'll be speaking with someone who's been in ministry for many, many years. Our featured artist this week is Australian composer, teacher, facilitator, and storyteller Monica Brown. We're taking the opportunity that she's in Canada for a few weeks to talk to her. So let's begin. Here's Monica Brown with so much more. Monica Brown with so much more. We'll be speaking with Monica in our second half hour and in about 10 minutes, Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. She's going to be talking about an epic film, an epic biblical film. I'm sure you know what film that is. Um, uh, But here now, first is Alicia with our news. Alicia. Is that the film... Uh, the protagonist of which wanted to meet with the Pope? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes, Of course. That is epic. That is epic. (laughs) (laughs) Turning to more epic news. Yes. This week, the big news was the equivalent canonizations. Again. Again. Of François de Laval, Marie de l'Incarnation, and José d'Anquieta. Canadians and... And a Brazilian. Brazilian. Well... French people who became but Canadian yes. and a Portuguese who became Brazilian. Yes, yes. So okay, all right. The all significance right. of these three, if you think about it, these are the three people who basically planted the church 
in on the American continent. Mm-hmm. So it's huge. We owe our church in the Americas mm-hmm. to them. Um, it was not unexpected. The Brazilians have been tweeting about this canonization for months, causing much uproar. Um, we know that there will be a celebration, a Thanksgiving celebration in Quebec for uh, Saints Francois Laval and Saint Marie de l'Incarnation on May 18th as part of the Monte Jeunesse Festival that yes. happens there every year. And there will be a Thanksgiving ceremony of some sort, a mass in the fall with Pope Francis. Nice. Meanwhile, the Jesuits are celebrating with a mass on April 24th with Pope Francis to give thanks for this Brazilian saint. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Last week we talked about the Bling Bishop in Germany. Yes. Well, the phenomenon uh, has... Sp- oh. I wouldn't say that the phenomenon has spread. There are more? I would say that people are becoming... Bishops are becoming more aware of there, yeah. how their living conditions could be interpreted. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> this week, the Bishop of Atlanta... Mm actually apologized. He wrote a column really? apologizing for the $2 million home that he lives in. Wow. Now, he explained, yeah. though, that he lived in one location, very close to a church and a rectory, mm-hmm. um, and this rectory was becoming overcrowded. Mm-hmm. And so the head of the, of the rectory, the head of this community parish, came to him and worked up the courage to ask him, would you consider letting us move here and finding another Mm -hmm. location for the papal home. Uh, Sorry, not the papal home, the Episcopal residence. Yes. So he did, and he said at the time it really made sense. It just seems like the most logical thing to do. There was also a donation, a very generous donation at the same time Mm. of money and property. Right. And so he, you know, it just made the most sense, and he went to live there. And, of course, people are reacting badly so he apologized for how it would look he never he said he never took into consideration how it would look to parishioners of the archdiocese who struggle to make ends meet mm-hmm. and yet open their pockets twice a year when he makes the you know the archbishop's appeal yeah of um there's a similar case going on in new Jersey, I do believe, Newark. Um, mm-hmm. But that's about a $500,000 expansion to an existing home. Right. Um, and in that case, the diocese is saying it's totally justified. Yeah, interesting. So we will see what kind of reaction that mm-hmm. gets to. Bishops are becoming more and more aware that they can't necessarily justify exorbitant housing expenses expenses or or buy a Camaro if you're a bishop don't buy a Camaro do not buy a Camaro yes no and I think the faithful though are also feeling like you know what if my bishop decides to live in a place that's just over the top as as a Catholic I have the right to to call him out on it Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course I think you mentioned earlier the issue of immigration reform in the (laughs) US And this week was the cross-border mass that happens. I believe this happens every year I in think Arizona. So. Yeah, I think so. It is a mass that takes place on the border. So half of the congregation is on the U.S. side. Half yes. the congregation is on it's the Mexican great idea. side. Yeah. It is very powerful. If you've yes. seen photos of yes. uh, Cardinal O'Malley giving communion across, like the through the yeah, fence, yeah. incredibly powerful. But it was part of a three-day experience for bishops. They had mass the day before, 
and then they walked together through the desert along the paths that the migrants that really? used to cross the border. Huh. And they photographed along the way all the discarded, um, the clothing, the water bottles, the backpacks, stuff that migrants leave because mm-hmm. they're trying to get through different security yes. measures. Mm-hmm. Um, Bishop's reactions on Twitter were just, they were blown. They, w- they were quite impacted by this. And they met with U.S. Border Patrol, saw the different measures that U.S. Border Patrol take to prevent this from happening, and then crossed into Mexico to serve dinner at a comedor. What would we call that, Pedro? A uh, mensa table? Uh, well, a center. It, it would be a... A, yeah, a center a, where food where is served. Where food is served, yeah. Um, to people who have been deported, who've been caught and deported back to Mexico, mm-hmm. or for people who are waiting there trying to decide whether or not they should yeah. cross. Bishop Eusebio Elizondo, the auxiliary of Seattle, said Congress has a moral imperative to act this year on immigration reform. He said we can no longer stand idly by as our brothers and sisters are subject to smugglers, human traffickers, drug traffickers, and the dangers of the desert. And mm-hmm. that is that is really one of the things that the bishops are pointing out, that a lot of the people who end up crossing the desert to get into the U.S. are doing it because they've been promised just come Absolutely, we'll make it yeah. okay. They're not breaking the law per yeah, se. Yeah, they, they don't, or they know. don't know they that they're know. breaking the law. They they're told know. just come, everything will be okay on this side. They're lured, lured by the promise of yeah. someone on the other side who will make things better. Yes, absolutely. And then they find out once they get there that it is wrong. And the other thing too, the other thing that bishops are trying to draw attention to is that any phenomenon of illegal migration doesn't necessarily mean that it's the receiving country's immigration system that's broken. There's something broken on the other side absolutely. that's forcing people to leave. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, good. I'm sure that we'll hear more about that story, all those stories. Um, thank you, Alicia. Our news producer, Alicia Ambrosio. Be sure to watch Alicia every week on Vatican Connections. You can watch it on demand at saltandlighttv.org, and you can follow her at Vati Connections. Hi, I'm Emma Fred, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me at DeaconPedro.com and also on Facebook. Search for Deacon Pedro. And my Twitter handle is at DeaconPedroGM. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew. Deacon Pedro, I'm still getting used to the fact that you have Twitter. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't have Twitter because... I know, I know. Well, figure, uh, you figure that one out, especially since uh, I'm supposed to be involved in social communication. Exactly. You can be uh, at... Yeah, I need to jump on that because, uh, yeah, even students are asking me, Andrew, how do you not have Twitter? You have Instagram. Exactly. What about Twitter? There you go. At Saint of the Week. Yeah, at yeah, at Saint of the Week. There you I'm go. I'm open to that. There you, there you go. There you go. People to are our listeners, uh, brace yourself. I think uh, <laughs> something's I coming. Think a new Twitter account is coming. A new Twitter account <laughs> with our saint. So who's our saint? Okay, uh, this coming week we're going to look at Saint Crescentia Hoes. Crescentia. I Crescentia. Not... A very interesting name. Just looking at the liturgical calendar, uh, her feast day is actually tomorrow, April. 6th. So yeah, on Sunday. So I uh, would love to look at her story because she's. She's a new saint, and she's someone that I don't really know too much about. Okay, tell us. Okay, uh, she was born in 1682 in a little town near Augsburg. So that's present-day Germany. Mm-hmm. We know that she was the daughter of a poor weaver. She spent uh, playtime praying in the parish church. How beautiful is that? Mm-hmm. Um, she assisted those who were even poorer than herself and um, had so mastered the truths of her Catholic religion that she was permitted to make her first Holy Communion at the unusually early age of seven. 
usually it's mm. eight or nine. I know today in age it's uh, you're nine years old, yeah. but she was at seven. So she was known in the town of Augsburg as the little angel. Hmm. As she grew older, um, she wanted to enter the convent of the tertiaries of St. Francis. But the convent was very poor, and because Christiantia had no dowry, she had no money, I guess, back then, the superiors refused her admission. So her case was then pleaded by the mayor, who was Protestant of the town of Augsburg, to whom the convent owed a favor. So the community felt it was forced into receiving her, and her new life was made uh, very miserable. She was considered a burden, she was considered a, considered a plague, and assigned nothing other than very little menial tasks. So she had a very cheerful spirit, despite everything that was going on, uh, but even her cheerful spirit was misinterpreted as flattery or hypocrisy. So conditions improved uh, during her time in the convent, uh, especially later when a new superior was elected who realized her virtue. Crescentia herself was appointed mistress of novices, uh, she so won the love and respect of the sisters that she was with that upon the death of the superior, Crescentia herself was unanimously elected to that position. Really? So here she was growing through the ranks of the convent. Under her, uh, the financial state of the convent improved, and her reputation in spiritual matters spread. She was soon being consulted by a number of people, including princes, princesses, as well as a number of bishops and cardinals seeking her advice. Hmm. And yet, as a true daughter of Francis, she remained ever humble. Right. She's always known to be humble. Uh, she was taken back by a lot of pain. Uh, first, it was headaches and toothaches. Uh, then she, we know that she lost the ability to walk. Her hands and feet gradually becoming so crippled that her body curled up into a fetal position. So in the spirit of Francis, St. Francis, she cried out, Oh, you bodily members, praise God that he has given you the capacity to suffer. So despite the number of sufferings that she had with her body, she was filled with much peace and joy as she died on, get this, Easter Sunday huh. in the year 1744. Mm. Uh, fast forward to the year 1900, uh, Deacon Pedro, she was beatified and canonized by blessed Pope John Paul II in the year 2001. Okay. So she was canonized uh, just yeah. a year after, a year after the Jubilee year. Right. Um, so we invoke her intercession and we pray to St. Crescentia Hoes. Saint Tuesday, tomorrow, April, April 6th. St. Crescentia, German. Interesting. I did not know about her. I love learning about new saints. Thank you, German Andrew. in a little town uh, just outside Augsburg. Beautiful. Beautiful. St. Crescentia. Okay. Thank you very much, Andrew Santos. That was our saint expert, Andrew Santos. Hey, I'm Sarah Kroger, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. My name is Deacon Pedro. You can find Salt and Light Radio on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slradio1 and be sure to like our page. Also stay connected with your name and email address at saltandlighttv.org slash radio for a chance to win cool prizes. And now it's time for Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister Marie Paul, you went to see Noah. I did, I did, and oh, it was quite a powerful experience. you don't sound very excited. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't sound very excited. I, <laughs> you know, it's a very it's a very bold film with a lot of very striking choices, but I also found it rather bleak, and so I thought I'd share more of my personal perspective yes. um, on the film. It, it takes, it takes 
seriously the story of Noah and, and the themes in the story. But there are a lot of bold choices, like using science fiction and post-apocalyptic uh-huh. uh, elements in the film. And it's not really a close adaptation from the scripture. So okay. I had to kind of step back from that as I was watching the film and just kind of let the director take me through the story. So I would say in brief, while I can't recommend the film as something that you should see as a believer, like it's not really an entry entryway to faith from no. my perspective, um, but it does. It is a very well-made movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the performances are great. Uh, uh, Russell Crowe, Emma Watson, uh, Jennifer Connelly—they're all really convincing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great pace. There's some beautiful sequences that really illustrate early passages from Genesis. So it is worth a thoughtful viewing for the more for the mature Christian film buff, I should mm-hmm. say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Disclaimer. So a couple of a couple of themes that I really loved in the film or really thought were worth exploring are the fact that everybody talks about God as the creator. So Mm. the essentials of the Genesis account of creation are really there in the worldview of the film, and that was cool. Mm -hmm. Even the bad guy talks about God being the creator. It's awesome. And they also talk about God creating the human person in God's image Mm. and God giving humanity the care of the earth. But what I think is the most powerful element in the film and the, the reason I would like the film the most is that it really takes seriously sin. In this film, sin has serious consequences. Mm. And so as, an, as a warning to people today that sin can be destructive, not just in the hereafter, but in the here and now, I, I think it's a very powerful film uh, for a world that denies the fact that sin is even an issue. I think it can be very powerful. Good. However, there were a few <laughs> things that I kind of have to pick a bone with about the film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't find the aspect of faith in the film very strong. Like, you know, Genesis talks about Noah walking with God. Hmm. And that personal element of a relationship with God just really isn't in the film. So I think Noah becomes... Uh, uh, he well, there's there's kind of a change midway in the film anyway, uh, which I won't spoil for anybody. But he hmm. goes from being a character that you see really like struggling with faith to being a bit of a religious fanatic, and I found that problematic. So the development of Noah's character wasn't really what I would have envisioned or could really enjoy. Uh, and the vision of the human person is definitely something worth discussing in the film because. They, you know, what does it mean when everybody, even the bad guy, says that we're made in the image of God? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and really, the film's central question, I would say, has to do with the theme of sinfulness, which is, you know, is humanity irredeemable? You know, we have the flood um, as, as God wanting to give the world a new start and, and to give humanity a new start. And so this is a very big question for the film. So ultimately, I'd say it's a dark film, visually, narratively, and even in the portrayal of its characters. And I tend to find films more spiritually enriching if they not only have this incisive, you know, judgment as evil, but they also draw us towards the light. Now, there is quite, you know, a powerful moment of hope at the end of the film, but it just wasn't enough for me to get over the rest of the bleakness. You know, right. this, 
shocking absence of beauty in a way. That's, for me, where mm. Noah really fails. So I have lots more to say about the film, probably too much, actually. And there's a lot of good commentaries out there. So, yeah. you know, people can visit my blog if they want to get a better sense before, you know, going to see the movie. Absolutely good. Yeah, I, I, I thank you for that. I, I suspect that a lot of that, 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 that the, the aspect of missing faith is a reflection of the writers, directors, maybe even the actor Russell Crowe and where they are in there. If they don't understand what it means to have faith in God, other than to be a religious fanatic, then that's how can they portray it. So that's an interesting, uh, that's a very interesting comment. I'm looking forward to watching it now that I've spoken to you. Okay. Um, so, and hopefully uh, our listeners will also watch it and maybe even send their comments. That'd be great. I'd love to hear from others what they think. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Sister Marie Paul is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you can read her blog at windowstothesoul.wordpress.com. You can also follow her at Sister M. Paul. Hi, this is Sean Carney with 40 Days for Life, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can podcast our show for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where you can now listen to Christian music live all day long on our four Salt and Light Radio playlists. Just pick the playlist that you want and click on the play button. It's very easy. We often hear that Lent is a good time to go to confession. And so to make this easier on people, many dioceses organize a day of confessions. And to tell us more, I am now joined by my former colleague, Chris Dimitrenko, who is now at the Communications Office for the Archdiocese of Toronto. Chris, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Pedro. Very happy to be back. Yes. Pedro, we know that there are many people who haven't been to confession in a long time. And one obstacle is that they might not know when and where it's available. Uh So the Diocese of London in the province of Ontario, here in Canada, wanted to make confession as convenient as possible. So their bishop, Ronald Fabro, instituted a day of confessions in Lent. Uh Our confession would be available in every parish at the same time, so nice and easy. Yeah. He also gave away free copies of an iPhone app to help penitents prepare for confession. Good. Apparently there were lineups at parishes and thousands took part, and they're going to be holding it again on April 9th. Other dioceses have followed suit here in Canada, including Edmonton, Ottawa, and St. Catharines, also a number of dioceses in the United States, like Indianapolis, Baltimore, and Denver. And there are other dioceses that are holding weekly confession times Hmm. in Calgary, Washington, Granton, Boston. Now, Boston has a fantastic website called The Light Is On For You. So that's thelightisonforyou.org. It features all sorts of great resources to help you prepare for confession. Of course, there will be Lenten penitential services available probably in every diocese across North America, even if they're not all at the same time on the same day. The Archdiocese of Toronto, they're going to be holding their day of confessions on April 9th. And given how multicultural Toronto is, that does create some challenges. Consider, Pedro, that Mass is celebrated here in more than 30 languages regularly. Now, if you've been to a Mass that wasn't in your primary language, you can imagine how tough it would be to prepare for a confession Mm. in a foreign language. So when the Archdiocese created confession guides, they also translated them into seven different languages, including Spanish, Italian, French, Portuguese, Polish, Chinese, and Vietnamese, mm. and these include an examination of conscience, and there also are both youth and adult versions, so uh, 
appropriate to, to different demographics there. Right. And to spread the word about the Day of Confessions, they also created posters in all of those languages. And on their website, they also included some filmed video testimonies from people explaining how confession has impacted them. And if you want to find those resources, you can go to their website, archtoronto.org slash confession. Good. Thank you. So, so lots of really good resources there. There's no excuses from anyone except maybe exactly. that you might be uncomfortable. But I know where you're going right now, Chris, right? Uh, right to confession? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right now. Okay, well, it was great chatting with you. Thank you very much for this important information. And uh, have a good uh, rest of Lent, Holy Week, and Easter. You too, my friend. That was Chris Dimitrenko. He's with the Communications Office for the Archdiocese of Toronto. Coming up in our second half hour, John Paul II, a saint for Canada, and a featured chat with Australian composer and speaker Monica Brown. So don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. No other Pope in history has traveled as widely as Pope John Paul II. There are many commemorative books about his life and travels, but none offer an intimate portrait and reflection from a Canadian perspective. But JP2 came to Canada three times, and many Canadians were deeply moved by these visits. And now there's a book that offers this perspective, a wonderful reflection on Pope John Paul II's visits and messages to Canadians. To find out more, I spoke with the author of John Paul II, A Saint for Canada, Father Tom Rosica, earlier this week. Father Tom, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Welcome back, I should say. It's great to be here in these, gr- these huge <laughs> studios. I'm amazed <laughs> at the size of the studios. Yes, yes, he says sarcastically. Um, <laughs> John Paul II, you got to know him well. Tell us about him. You know, you're, you're asking me these questions on a very special day. Today happens yes. to be April the 2nd, yes. which is the ninth anniversary of his death. And that whole sequence of his death and the, uh, the events surrounding his death figure heavily into what I wrote in the book, John Paul mm-hmm. II, A Saint for Canada. Uh, an extraordinary man. I, I couldn't help but relive many of the moments with him, many of the visits with him. I can't remember the exact number, perhaps 14 or 15 times I met with him and was with him, some for extended periods of time. And I was in the presence of a saint, and I knew it then, and I'm more convinced of it now. A truly wonderful man. You were, I don't want to date you, but you were 19 or 20 when he was elected? I was 19 years old. I was in uh, going into second year university during that very traumatic summer for the church of 1978, the summer of three popes. Uh We had the death of Paul VI. Mm -hmm. We had the death of John John Paul Paul I and the election of John Paul II in October. Uh, Extraordinary wind under my sails, I call it. And that kind of carried me all the way through university, through theological formation, my early years as a priest, my graduate studies in Rome, and then the piece de resistance came yeah. when I would be asked to lead the World Youth Day. Would you say that you are a John Paul II priest? Um, I don't particularly care for those categories, uh-huh. although many people are finding them uh, helpful today. I'm a priest of Jesus Christ. I, right. I follow the Roman pontiffs and the Pope. I would like to consider myself faithful to the popes, mm-hmm. but let's put it this way. 
each pope has a particular gift and charism, and it was the experience of John Paul II in my life which truly marked me. Yeah, and uh, it's changed my life too. It's 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 had a huge effect. His vision, his breadth of knowledge, his compassion, his understanding, and especially his proximity to young people—all mm-hmm. of those things have shaped and molded me. Yeah. Now. I think that we can say that John Paul II belonged to the whole world. So why would you say that he, in a special way, belongs to Canadians? Well, you know, I didn't give the title to the book. It's <laughs> the publisher Novalis that did. Yes. And I, I think I, I discussed that with him at length, saying, a pope is for the world. Mm-hmm. But let's face it, the unique relationship that John Paul II had with our land, our nation, was truly extraordinary. Yeah. His visit in 1984 was the longest of the 104 international visits, right. 10 or 12 days traipsing across this land, uh, an extraordinary visit, you know, beginning in Quebec, Vancouver. Many people say John Paul II's visit to Canada in 1984 helped Canadians to get to know Canada. Uh-huh. Uh, people were glued to the television sets for that whole period, right. and it really was spectacular. And interestingly mm-hmm. enough, the times I met with John Paul II, he evoked on several occasions aspect of that visit. Uh-huh. He talked about the wind, the rainstorms. He talked several times about the canal ride in Ottawa, the boat. He asked yeah. me, is there going to be a boat in Toronto? Right. At the time, I didn't know as we were planning, but there was a boat for Toronto. He took the boat around Lake Simcoe. Yes. But uh, the, the visit to Canada it was early in his pontificate. Mm-hmm. He had a unique relationship with the Governor General, Jean Sauvé. It was very obvious from the beginning of the, the visit right until the end. And so he touched us. And then, of course, there was the whole Native encounter. Uh, he met with some mm-hmm. Native people in 1984, but he couldn't go to Fort Simpson yeah, because of bad of, weather. Yeah. And he promised the Native communities, the First Nations, that he would be back. And he came back in 1987, kind of a, a little part of the trip to the United States. Yeah. And he came up from Florida, I think, went to Edmonton, stayed overnight, and then went to Fort Simpson. Yeah. So there was a unique relationship. But then, of course, the crowning of his pontificate, his last World Youth Day, the last time that he really walked mm-hmm. was here in Toronto in mm-hmm. 2002. Yeah. Would you say that there there were specific messages for Canadians, whether during those trips, certainly, but also during his pontificate? I know in the book you look specifically at some of the messages. The homilies, the talks that he gave in 1984 were truly extraordinary. Mm-hmm. They had been worked out together with the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, with the hosts in each local place, but he had the final hand in those. Mm-hmm. And as I reread those talks, as I was preparing the manuscript for the book last year, and I reread those talks, I said, those talks are still ever valid today. Uh-huh. The words, you know, his talk in Edmonton, the poor South will rise up and judge the rich North, mm. his talk to the whole technological world here in Toronto, the magnificent rally in the, the stadium, at the Olympic Stadium in Montreal, mm-hmm. it's all still very fresh. I was a seminarian uh-huh. in 1984, and quite by coincidence, I spent the summer doing my field education in Montreal at the Ecumenical Center and was given the dossier to prepare the CBC teams really? for the papal visit. When I look back over all of that now, that's divine providence. Who would ever know. believe... Yes. I'd have to be running a papal visit several yes, years later. Yes, yes. Now, would there be, I know there's, this is not an easy question, but if you could pick one moment of one of his visits or, or the times that you were with him that really moved you or that sticks with you, what would that be? 
is an observer of the 1984 visit and the 1987 visit, Mm -hmm. the images were incredible. But the one image I remember very distinctly in the talk uh, powerfully in Mon- was in Montreal mm-hmm. in the cathedral, the Basilica of Notre Dame, yeah. when he met with the young people. And the obvious joy that was communicated, I still remember the kid throwing his arms around him and playing with his zucchetto on his right. head, you know. Right. Um, and the gentleness and the kindness and the reach, the embrace. And in Flat Rock in Newfoundland, you know, the, where there weren't tons of people along the streets, but he went to the fishing village mm-hmm. and he spoke to the people all gathered in mm-hmm. boats there in, in a very economically hit area, hard hit area. Yes. Uh, the visit to the native communities in Fort Simpson was extraordinary when he came out of the teepee wearing that vestment made by the First Nations. Yeah. Uh, it talked about enculturation, his love of the indigenous peoples. In Toronto, of course, it was every moment. I mean, I was—I <laughs> lived and breathed yeah. that for three years. I saw it unfold before me. I think one of the very special moments was at the vigil on Saturday night, July 27th. I was on the stage overlooking the crowd of seven or 800,000 people. I was standing next to the Apostolic Nuncio at the time, Archbishop Ventura, mm-hmm. the chief of police, the head of the, uh, the RCMP. Mm-hmm. We looked out, and they both said to me, the chief, two chiefs of police said, no one else can cause this except somebody like John Paul. And I looked over nice. at him, bent over, tired, an old man, towards the end of his journey, mm-hmm. and yet there was so much life within him. Mm-hmm. So they were very, very special moments. Do you think that the message, that, that theme of that World Youth Day, salt of the earth, light of the world, and we've taken that as our, as our, as our, as our mission statement, really, here at Salt and Light Television, do you think that that was providential also as a message for Canadians? The theme was chosen not by by random or by accident, mm-hmm. because what the theme it's from Matthew's Gospel, of course, it's mm-hmm. from the Beatitudes, yeah, chapter five, and it's it's very simple words. Salt is flavor. Salt gives spice to life. Salt preserves. Salt conserves. Salt is used in packs for reconciliation and agreement. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, "You are salt, and you are light." And at that particular moment in Canadian history, and now even more so today, we need the flavor of the gospel, and we need the light of Christ to take away the tastelessness of our culture and our times mm-hmm. and to brighten up the monotony, the shadows, and the darkness. Uh, yes, Salt and Light Television came about. If anyone had told me at the beginning of World Youth Day that this would be the natural flowering or this would be my continuation, I would have run the other way. Right. I had done my military service, <laughs> if you will, with World Youth Day. It takes everything out of you and then some. Yes. But it's the hand of God that when the church didn't necessarily follow up with the follow-up of World Youth Day, in Mm -hmm. fact, there was very little done, uh, the Lord provided through very generous lay people who came forward and and, uh, conscripted me into doing Salt and Light Television, Mm -hmm. and that was almost 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. So the Lord must Mm -hmm. want us to be here. And I prayed almost every single day to Pope John Paul II. He knew about Salt and Light Television. He watched some of our programs. He blessed our efforts. He was thrilled that a project like this came about. And many people have told me, Cardinal Stafford and others, that of all the World Youth Days, one of the most visible fruits in any country that the World Youth Day took root Mm -hmm. is Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and Television Network and radio. Good. So that's a, a reminder for all our listeners in Canada especially, but I mean, we have listeners outside of Canada as well. That, that we need to, to be salt and light. Um, I know that he is a saint. He's going to be a saint. I mean, he's a saint. He's going to be proclaimed a saint for the whole world. But I, I love the idea that we can think of him as, as, as our saint for Canada, too. So thank you for writing the book. Thank you very much. And I hope many people will read it because there's something in it for everybody. 
Thank you very much, Father Tom. Thank you. That was a conversation I had with Father Thomas Rosica earlier this week. Father Tom is a Brazilian priest, a scripture scholar, and he was the CEO of World Youth Day 2002. Currently, he is the chief executive officer of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and the executive producer of this program. He is also a published author, and his latest book, John Paul II, A Saint for Canada, is published by Novalis. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Monica Brown with Tear the Heavens Asunder, from her album, Comfort My People. Monica Brown with Tear the Heavens Asunder from her album Comfort My People. Monica Brown is one of Australia's most highly respected Christian composers and workshop facilitators. She's also a teacher, a storyteller, and community animator with a specialty in religious education, worship, ritual, and scripture storytelling. She is also an author 
and her book Embodying the God We Proclaim, Ministering as Jesus Did, is also highly acclaimed. As a composer, Monica is very successful. She has recorded 16 collections of songs for children, for youth, and adults, and she has written and produced videos and other resources that are used for faith formation. And I could go on, but instead, how about I just welcome Monica Brown to the program. Monica, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. And can I say to all your wonderful listeners, a very warm, sincere g'day, mate. G'day, yes, from Australia. <laughs> Good, but you're not in Australia right now. You're, we had to grab you while you were uh, traveling in Canada, so this, this worked yes. out well. Um, I'm in Calgary at the moment and it's still snowing. Can you believe it? Oh, yes. Welcome to Canada. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to be here. Thank you. It's beautiful. So how did you you end up in in faith formation? My background is teaching. Mm -hmm. I was in religious education and pastoral ministry in our Catholic schools in Australia. And um, the Archdiocese of Melbourne um, in Victoria were reviewing their religious education program and I was working with children, and through through I was also music coordinator in the school. Uh-huh. And as we were reviewing the program, I just found myself writing songs out of my classroom okay. experience with the stu- children. And so the Melbourne Catholic Education Office asked if they could use them for the reference resources for their religious education program. Uh-huh. And so we were actually the first to record... Um, any kind of Australian Christian uh, music for catechesis in Australia. We were relying heavily on American music, and this was our first Australian resource, and it was just beautifully received, thank God. And Uh then one thing led to another, and I began to do workshops with teachers in schools and then staff in servicing, working with teachers in terms of their own faith formation, retreats, and then that spread to writing a lot of uh, adult uh, music for liturgy and mm-hmm. prayer. And then a lot of um, religious communities have taken up my music. Yes. And that's how I guess I've become international because right. the sisters and the brothers have taken it to their missions and to other countries and then invitations have come across to me to, to go and work with those communities. So it's been an absolute blessing, something I didn't choose at all. Yes. Uh, God has made this possible in mm-hmm. every way. So then so then you ended up in doing teach well you were teaching but but you ended up in formation, catechetical teaching because yep. of the music. Yeah. Um did you did you grow up as a Catholic? Did you grow up in the faith? Oh yes. My 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 background is uh my roots and extended family are very much part of Catholic tradition. I've also been formed by Good Samaritan Sisters in a Benedictine tradition, and that just runs in my blood. So my liturgical formation and spiritual formation has been in that context. So, and and forgive my ignorance, but is it common to be Catholic in Australia? Uh, Yeah, we have a a lot of Catholics in Australia, and they're committed Catholics. Yes. Um, The Catholic Church would be pretty much... I think the largest Christian church in Australia, or it could be Anglican. I, right. We'd be very close to the Anglican in terms of, but I think it is the Catholic Church that is the largest in terms of Christian population in our country. Right now, uh, you, uh, I think of you as a children's composer, but you're not just a children's composer. But clearly, there's a passion there to 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 help children, catechetical resources for children. Yeah. But there's also the 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 music, your music, how it's used in retreats. Uh, like yes. you mentioned with religious congregations, where would you say your heart is? 
Or is that an unfair question? Uh, it is pretty unfair. <laughs> I've just finished doing a concert, a faith celebration concert in one of the schools here in Calgary, which was absolutely beautiful to see the kids come to life. But I think my my heart is in any kind of spiritual formation, whether it's with children or adults, mm-hmm. even though the majority of my work now is in adult work and most of my recording is with adult music. But, for example, even in the concert today, we don't just sing songs. We weave right. an integrated approach through uh, scripture storytelling, mime, clowning, puppetry, mm-hmm. music. So I don't just get up and sing anywhere. My, I don't consider myself a singer as such or a performer so much as a facilitator through music and word and mime and imagery and ritual. Ritual underpins everything we do. Okay, well, okay. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about the clowning because yeah. I think I have seen a picture and I think it's you in clown makeup. No, it's makeup. not me. I'm not oh, the clown. you're not the clown. <laughs> no, I facilitate the clowning. I write the programs. Okay. Uh, and I've had... I've been blessed with many wonderful sacred clowns in in my ministry and puppeteers. Uh, At the moment, I'm working with Hilary Musgrave, an Irish woman. Uh Uh, She's been on the road with me now for nearly 16 years. Uh, and we work all over the English-speaking country. And it's, sorry, and you said you, you called her a sacred clown? Yes. What is that? Yeah, well, it's very different to a Ronald McDonald or yes, party clown. Yes, I would think. Yeah, no, our, clowning, we, our clowns are always silent, and uh-huh. they, um, they work in ritual, highlighting what is sacred, particularly through imagery and mime, uh-huh. and uh, there's tremendous reverence. Uh, people are usually quite deeply moved um, by the experience of sacred clowning that we do in our retreat work particularly. I've just been doing a, um, a weekend on the Triduum for Holy Week right. um, here in the uh, FCJ Centre, the retreat centre here in Calgary, yes. um, looking at the symbols and the actions and the word of Triduum. So um, I do far more work in that context now than just with children right. and the children's concepts. Wow, that sounds fascinating. I want to ask you about your, your, I guess your organized your ministry, yeah. Emmaus. Yeah. Um, how would you describe your mission? How does the the Emmaus story uh, fall uh, fall in in into I- energizing what you do? Well, it's the basis of it, really, uh, Deacon. I. I uh, again, I didn't choose any of this. Mm. Um, it, it came upon me through um, an intervention of God in many ways, quite clearly. So yeah. I was more or less hit over the head to start this ministry, and we're a non-profit organisation. We're based in Australia, but we have offices in America, uh, Canada, and Ireland. Uh-huh. Only small offices, staffed mostly by volunteers. Yeah. But the heart of our ministry is about trying to do what Jesus did on that road to Emmaus, is mm. to meet people where they are in their circumstances, to to be in touch with their story, their reality, mm-hmm. and to respond to their reality with Christ's story, Hmm. breaking open scripture, and ultimately drawing them from their heads to their hearts, which is the the place, that place of longing and yearning and burning and wanting more of God. That's that's very much what our ministry is about, trying to draw people into experiences that leave them wanting more of God. Hmm. And um, so the Emmaus story is the inspiration and the model for our ministry. So we use creative arts to, to help help in that way. Um, we're very much experiential. 
we do a lot of input, but whenever we talk about things, either theologically or spiritually, we try to break it open in ritual with experience mm-hmm. of the actual input. And it's interesting, Pope Francis last year in his address to the the bishops at, at World Youth Day uh-huh. um, offered the Emmaus story from Luke 24 yeah. as a yeah. new model for our church. And he beautifully said, you know, what we need to do is go out and meet people where they are in their aimlessness, mm. in their in their lack of meaning, in their disillusionment, in their wandering, in their in their pain, in their grief. And listen to their stories first. Mm-hmm. Meet them as they are, as Jesus did, and respond then, not just with the Christ story, but by the very presence of Christ, being the presence of Christ to people and warming their hearts. He talks about wanting a church that warms people's hearts. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's inspirational because so many are desperately seeking God, as you know. Yes. And they're not seeking God in the ways they used to. Many are moving away from institutional church and many are still hungry for God within our church uh, Mm -hmm. because we're we're not satisfying that hunger adequately Uh and so um, there's a sense that uh, heaven can wait that God needs to be uh, where we are people are wanting God to be part of their human suffering their human reality and um, that that beautiful text from Isaiah Oh, that you would tear the heavens asunder. Yes. Come and be with us. Comfort your people. That's the cry I'm hearing everywhere I go. Everywhere I go in my ministry, Deacon Pedro. And I guess that's where a lot of my music is mm-hmm. is coming from now. Um, the album Comfort My People, which is very timely for Lent and for Advent, yes. is about that longing in people's heart to find God on their journey, mm-hmm. right where they are. Yes, And we know that can only happen in as much as we become that presence of Christ for one yeah. another. It's so true. It's so true. And that's the song that we just heard just before, Tear the Heavens Asunder. And it is a beautiful Lenten song. And and I uh, I love that Emmaus story. You're so it's so right, and of course Pope Francis is so right. So yeah, that's a great a great legend. message. Yes, great message for all of us. Monica, it has been so good to finally connect and have you on the program. We now just have to coordinate to be in the same place at the same time, that so we can meet great. each other. Um, we'll be back in the fall in Toronto and Canada, so we might catch up then. Excellent. So thank you so much for doing what you do. Uh, continue and. Uh, you're in our prayers and the same with you you're doing wonderful things at salt and light god bless you monica brown is the founding director of emmaus productions you can learn more about her and about her work at emmausproductions.com we're going to put that link on our on our site so you can find it easily here now is monica brown with the theme song for her ministry emmaus song Jesus, our God, may our hearts be warm. 
were listening to Monica Brown with Emmaus Song. And that will bring us to the end of the program. Remember that if you tuned in late, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where you can now listen to uninterrupted music all day long on our four Salt and Light Radio playlists, which are made possible thanks to the wonderful support from artists like Monica Brown. So just go to our website and learn how you can listen to online or on the go on your mobile devices. And while you're on our website, stay connected with us for a chance to win weekly prizes. All we need is your name and email address. Next week, we'll be giving away a copy of Father Rosica's John Paul II, A Saint for Canada. You can also write nice things about us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash slradio1. Share your posts, share our posts, post your own comments, invite your friends to like us, and also like our page. And while you're on Facebook, also visit me, Deacon Pedro, or follow me on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. This program is completely free, thanks to donations. So thank you for considering us when you're making your charitable contributions. And thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. <laughs>